From the remote shores of Aotearoa to the global music marketplace. Wellington band The Black Seeds are pitching their music in cyberspace. Their state-of-the-art website is a rich online world featuring everything from the band's music to tour dates and click-throughs to sites like MySpace and iTunes so fans can buy the music. It's a lush little environment, all right? Mm. You can play with a lot of these things around the scene as well, like drums. Parrot's always willing for a little bit of a tickle. Mm. These are linked to my space website actually up there. Oh, that's the band, is it? That's the band. Oh yeah, there's a whole whole bunch of uh, photos that you can kind of have a look at. They can upload audio, video, um, all their tour photos, update their gig guide. So it's all it's all dynamic. The whole site's dynamic. Ricky Campbell and fellow director Steve Lemarcon are the creative team behind Resin the small Wellington web shop which built the site. The pair have been in Texas at one of the world's biggest music, film and IT festivals, the South by Southwest Music Festival, where the Black Seed site and Resin's own site were nominated for Web Awards. Over a thousand bands attended, including 10 from New Zealand, and Resin took out the Best Business for Profit Award at the festival. It's priceless publicity and will hopefully spur sales, as Steve Lemarcon explains. The whole thing with putting the Web Awards up there is that we're trying to push for the export dollar, try and push for the international market, so a few more opportunities and bring some money into the country. Yeah, that's what we're, what we're trying to do with all these, all these uh, little websites. Ricky Campbell says the internet is helping take New Zealand's creative talent to the world. And broadband is crucial. A lot of stuff that inspires us out there is coming from the international community. And with broadband, that allows us to, I guess, compete with the people overseas. You can't make rich websites without broadband, and people will love rich websites. It's a decade since Telstra Clear, then Saturn Communications began digging up roads around Wellington, laying cables for broadband. At the same time, Telecom was putting broadband on its phone lines. While uptake was initially slow, it's rare to find businesses which don't use broadband. Okay, um, just had this redone about three months ago. Quite happy with it actually. Type it in. Refrigeration specialist Rod Stewart's Christchurch firm specialises in thermoelectric refrigeration. His website is his shop front to the world. Clients can buy the merchandise over the site. But for Rod, the biggest benefit is the huge efficiencies made possible by broadband, which are transforming the electronics industry. Just to give you an example of how you can use it, I can do a drawing of, say, a piece of sheet metal, two-dimensional drawing. I can email it to a guy across the other side of the town. He can take that file, plug it into his computer, cut the metal out, and then put it on a courier, and it can be here two hours later. And it would have taken me that long to drive there and back. <laughs> Broadband is also changing not just how but where we work. Two blocks from the thunder of the surf on New Brighton Beach near Christchurch, communications director Lee Harris works from home twice a week using broadband, a vital tool for her PR company Convergence Communications. You could not do business without it. 
you know, when, when you're surfing the internet for work, you know, you're, you're, you have to go sideways. You're getting lateral. You're trying to you click on something that takes you here and then that takes you somewhere else. You know, a large part of being in business these days, particularly with the field that we're in, is keeping up with things, you know, watching trends, what are emerging things that are coming through so we can then advise our clients that this is the way that these types of areas are heading. You have to keep up with blogs. You have to be catching up with trend websites and things like that. It's, it's just part of the day-to-day fabric of being in business. But Lee Harris isn't happy with the standard of her home connection. It's marginally faster than the old dial-up at times, and it's just really, really frustrating. And I get really fed up because I'm paying hundreds of dollars for my internet connection for our offices at work. I don't want to have to keep paying more just to access the internet at home, because when I do access the internet at home, it's part leisure, but it's mostly business. This is how the rest of the world accesses the internet. Why can't we? This is not a lone refrain. Many local businesses complain of high costs and slow speeds. This matters in a place like Canterbury, which produces an impressive diversity of products and services, much of it exported. There's its rural wealth, of course. They call the soils around here Canterbury Gold because of its fertility and productivity. And since the 80s, Christchurch has been the hub of a thriving electronics industry. The capital may fancy itself as wired Wellington, but Christchurch considers itself the country's IT capital. Think companies like GPS manufacturer Navman or Tate Electronics. And of course this software company Jade. Its success symbolised by the company's headquarters with its mirror glass and atrium, complete with waterfall. Well, here we are inside the Jade Development Centre here in Christchurch. It's one of New Zealand's most famous IT companies, thanks to a multi-million dollar partnership it forged with Unisys back in the early 80s under its then moniker Link. It's still doing the same thing, creating cutting-edge software, which is exported from here in Christchurch all over the world. Carol, how do you do? David Blair. David Blair is Jade's operations manager and the tour he provides for visitors reveals the heart of the company. Jade Software runs systems in industries as diverse as banking, health and aviation. David Blair says the software is used at Jade itself to automate much of the company's operations, which are run from a central control room. Now this is the control room I was talking about. The first thing that will strike you about is there's not a great number of people in there, but this is uh, the automation that we use. We are actually monitoring about 400 different customer systems in, in this room with a minimum number of people. Okay, now what are these? These are all uh, servers uh, in our data centre that are um, running systems for us internally and customer systems as well. You're very privileged to be in here actually because there's some very mission critical systems running in here, um, banking systems and such like. These systems are, as I explained earlier, monitored 24 hours a day, seven days a week and uh, are online all the time. Back in the boardroom, David Blair explains how broadband is used to run Jade's products on computer systems across the globe. One of those computer systems would be the Northern Territory Health computer systems that runs their hospitals. The servers are based up in Darwin, in the north of Australia, but they are monitored and controlled from here in Christchurch. So we're online all the time to those servers, and the connection is through broadband, through the internet, uh, using a VPN, a virtual private network. 
Within the company, data speeds are as fast as anywhere in the world. But when the signal heads overseas, speeds fall dramatically and broadband prices rise as the data hits the Southern Cross Cable, New Zealand's international broadband link. Jade's international competitors pay less for better broadband and David Blair admits the situation is frustrating. Our business would be more cost effective and more competitive if, if we did have broadband capacity at a, at a lesser rate. The Southern Cross Cable, which is jointly owned by Telecom and the Southern Cross Cable Company, travels across the Pacific bringing broadband from the US West Coast, making landfall here on Takapuna Beach in Auckland. Jade's concerns about the limitation of the feed are largely the result of the exploding use of broadband here, particularly media-rich sites like YouTube, iTunes and MySpace. Lee Harris contrasts broadband here with her experience during a recent trip to Japan. I was staying in quite a nice little bed and breakfast, but it wasn't really a really expensive place. And I jumped on the internet, the free internet there was next to the breakfast bar, and I was just dazzled with the speed. And I remember clicking through websites in New Zealand, and I could get through them quicker in Japan than I could in New Zealand. And I think when you get a taste for what broadband can really be like, you realise how slow ours really is. While Jade is restricted by the international link, the root of Lee Harris's complaints are much closer to home. The Christchurch City Council says for five years telcos have underinvested in urban broadband to the cost of local firms. And the council itself, which wants to run much of the city's infrastructure via broadband, including traffic lights, parking meters and water reticulation. A vocal critic of the situation is the Canterbury Development Corporation, which takes a hands-on approach to regional planning. Larry Podmore is the corporation's technology ventures manager. If you have a look around the world and you have a look at uh, Dubai Digital City, Singapore Digital City, they're all realising that the next generation of the internet is about delivering services and products. But to do that, our companies and cities and towns have to have the same sort of infrastructure that these places around the world do. And the European Union, the Japanese, they have whole strategies and uh, whole implementation projects that dictate that. We're a lot more piecemeal, and I think we are, from that point of view, behind the rest of the world. In the absence of investment by telcos, the Christchurch City Council is stepping into the breach. The council is set to sink close to $11 million into a citywide fibre optic broadband network, a third of it funded by the government's broadband challenge fund, thanks to an application lodged by the Canterbury Development Corporation. A council-owned company, Christchurch City Networks, will run the new loop. And as manager Bill Luff explains, it'll offer top-class, top-speed broadband. The common um, consumer demand um, for bandwidth at the moment is, is 1 to 3 megabytes per second. We're actually focusing on 1 gigabyte. And not only is that a lot of data very quickly, but it is also symmetrical on fibre. So you can download at the same speed as you can upload, and you don't have any delays, what they call latency. Developers will also be required to provide ducting on or building projects so fibre can be laid to new homes and businesses. The network is what's called dark fibre. It's not owned or operated by telcos as broadband tends to be these days. Instead the council will make the fibre available to anyone wanting to lease the cable, including telcos. You can see this dovetails nicely with the government's move to unbundle telecoms local loop. 
For example, Telecom, or anyone else for that matter, will be able to lease the council lines, repackage them and on-sell the service. The Christchurch Initiative is the result of businesses, schools and groups like the council and the Canterbury Development Corporation getting behind the project. And this is happening right across provincial and suburban New Zealand. Communities are laying their own fibre networks as they tire of waiting for decent, cost-effective broadband. Education has been a primary driver for these networks and the tourist hub of Nelson has led the way. Here, local schools have joined forces with Nelson Power Company Network Tasman and local IT firms to build a broadband loop connecting the schools and eventually libraries, community radio and businesses. The principal of Nayland College, Charles Newton, describes the do-it-yourself ethos behind the project. You can't put a cost on it because this is a totally collaborative effort. It's, you know, buy, borrow, scratch, you know, whatever you can do. If there's an opportunity to slightly reroute something so that it's easier for, to connect to a school, then they've, they've tried to do that. If they're going close to a school, they're, they're more than willing to help let the schools dig the trench and save a little bit of money that way. So you literally dig a hole and they put in the fibre? Yeah, 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 at the weekend. So get the board chair out with a shovel and, and, and get them digging, yeah. Similar schemes have seen broadband loops established on Auckland's North Shore and Wellington schools are working to link up five inner-city colleges with the help of local cable company CityLink. It's a community-led communications revolution, and the significance of what's happening isn't lost on Charles Newton. This is a new way of doing things. This, this is how things are going to progress from here on in. You, you make use of whatever opportunities are available, you know, whatever resources are around, both in terms of people, ideas, networks, hardware, software. You, you just pull together a collaborative group who are interested in achieving something. But while urban New Zealand gets wired, the rural hinterland is being left far behind, which is ironic because rural industries still provide most of the country's wealth. Federated Farmers President Charlie Pedersen, who farms in the Manawatu, is one of dairy giant Fonterra's 14,000 dairy farmers. OK, well, we're just walking into the dairy now. This is a fairly simple one. Uh, it's a 32-a-side herringbone. Uh, but it works perfectly well and manages to milk uh, about 700 cows a day. Charlie Pedersen gets broadband out here, but a poorer service than his urban counterparts. Yeah, we get reasonable speeds, but broadband in the rural area is not like broadband uh, in the city, and we think that broadband here is about as fast as dial-up would be in the city. Fonterra wants all its farmers on broadband which is provided by telecom, satellite operators and broadcast transmission company Cordia, formerly BCL. Everything from point of origin to milk yields and bacterial counts are recorded digitally and available to farmers via the internet. But for many farmers, broadband is still too expensive and unreliable. There's interference from electric fences and connections are frequently cut off, as Charlie Pedersen explains. You could have a neighbour four or five kilometres down the road with a poorly earthed electric fence unit or one that was uh, shorting out somewhere, or running in parallel with the telephone line, 
and it actually has a, a highly detrimental effect on the speed of the internet that you can get. Uh, it also has the habit of kicking you off. Uh, say they want to go and use the internet for an hour, may have to dial up four or five times during that period because they get kicked off for some reason because the, the system is overloaded. Broadband is about speed, and as the rest of the developed world zips along at a fast clip, businesses here are highly conscious of the need to keep up. Squeezed by a strong dollar, the rising cost of raw materials and the cheap labour of overseas competitors, New Zealand producers are hurting. James Saruchera, who works with the Canterbury Development Corporation's ITC cluster, says local technology firms are in good shape, but the competition is closing in. China, India, etc., that before would, would have, for the most part, been low-cost development countries, they've actually upped their game significantly in terms of the research and development side. So while before we had the advantage of not being as expensive as, as the US or the UK to operate a, a research and development hub in, that middle ground is, is slowly being eaten away. So companies are definitely being squeezed on the competitive front. The government has responded with a hefty investment of its own, the multi-million dollar Karen Network a 10-gigabyte international pipe dedicated to high-end research and development. It's 100 times faster than your regular office network and 10,000 times faster than most domestic connections. Karen will eventually link the country's eight universities, the Crown Research Institutes and the National Library. Canterbury University is already test-driving the network, which is being guided through its early stages by the Deputy Vice-Chancellor, Ian Town. Right, so here we are at the hit lab. Come on through. So the hit lab is uh, the Human Interface Technology Laboratory here at the University. Um, and this is the video conferencing facility. And this is Nathan Gardner, who's going to be talking with you about it. Hi, Nathan. G'day, how are you? Good. Okay. What's happening here, Nathan? Well, based on what you're seeing here is uh, Karen in action. Uh, we have um, a high-definition video link-up between HitLab New Zealand here at the University of Canterbury and uh, the Reans offices, who are, are the company that um, basically um, get Karen up and going and, and operate that. So uh, we, we have Julie Watson here from Reans in Wellington. G'day, Julie. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Karen. Ian. Hi, Julie. Um, seeing is believing, I guess. This system is fantastic. It's like actually being in the same room. This particular system is called Life Science. We're trying to get, and basically we're winning hearts and minds by showing people. So we're demonstrating. We're getting people to come in and hook up with Nathan and just chat about anything that comes to mind so that people can experience the, the speed and the, the directness of this sort of video conferencing. How do they respond? People come in and just go, this is fantastic. This is going, you know, this, is, this will change New Zealand because um, it, people won't have to travel to meetings, you know, the whole sustainability issue, that it'll be more economical. We'll be able to have these productive meetings just in an office over broadband. I think primarily Karen is used for um, an education and research network. I mean, however, down the track, it would be great to be able to, to pair these networks into a, a commercial area. The power of the network enables stunning 3D imaging, which has applications in industries such as architecture, climate science and medicine. Nathan Gardner puts the setup through its paces. So 
Now we're heading where? Uh, we're heading down to the uh, vision space room, and basically what this room is, it's, uh, it's three eight feet by six, um, six feet screens uh, that are stereoscopically put together. So basically what this enables you to do is to be in an immersive environment what I would be able to do is be able to look at content such as, you know, um, ob 3D objects, it could be um, um, terrain, it could be basically any content you want that can be generated by computers and being able to manipulate that content as well and feel as though I'm actually inside the space. What are you loading for us? Um, basically I'm just loading the, um, the projectors up on the screen here. Mm -hmm. um, this, this setup cost around about uh, $200,000, so... Um, uh, it wasn't cheap, but internationally comparing, it's actually doing it the Kiwi way. We're actually able to cut and save quite a bit of money. Normally, this would be about um, a five or six hundred thousand uh, dollar system to to build. So. Good old number eight wire. Yep, exactly. Well, exactly. We'll just dim the lights in a minute. So if you just stand in the middle there. Okay, I'm standing here in the middle of these three screens. We put the glasses on. Yep, and we'll load up the skeleton. So basically what we can see here is it's a real basic skeleton of the human body. Wow. Close to goodness gracious. Oh my goodness me. <laughs> I'm completely surrounded by a rib cage. It's a human rib cage and it's just the most phenomenal sensation. It's, um, it's like it's travelling right over my head and the detail is extraordinary. It's enormous by the way. This whole image would be well over six, seven, seven feet wide. At least, at least. This is the sexy edge of Karen, but its full potential lies in the manipulation of vast amounts of data, which will hopefully bring innovative new products and services in its wake. At least that's the vision pursued by Larry Podmore from the Canterbury Development Corporation. We're now looking for services that can be offered out of Christchurch or out of New Zealand. If we can do the research in that area and then have the connectivity that will allow us to play in the world. We can create companies at the leading edge of the new internet revolution. That's basically about having the speed to have information flowing both ways between here and overseas so that you're getting information backwards and forwards very quickly, is that right? Oh, very much so. And it's increasingly large-scale data. I mean, you're talking about um, the initiatives developed, a lot of it by a famous New Zealander, Dr Ian Foster, who developed the Global Grid. Uh, which is about grid computing. It's about large-scale computing resources being connected up over distance. One example, basically Canterbury's got a major water issue long-term, so the amount of data that you need to capture from all sorts of different telecommunications devices, sensors, sensor networks, and then bring that together in large-scale computing to be able to manage the water aquifer in Canterbury. It's a test bed for next-generation products and services driven by new internet technology. Hi, Robert. Um, yeah, I just wanted to talk about the, the Spenfo bed. Dr Jerry you, you Cooper know, is uh, the science leader for informatics at Landcare Research, based in the rural township of Lincoln near Christchurch. It manages seven of the country's 25 national science databases, including the national soil maps, which detail the very substance supporting the nation's wealth. The soil's data itself, of course, is actually used as the inputs to many other kinds of research activity. For example, the research around looking at uh, erosion, what happens when there's a flood event, where does the soil go, sedimentation in the rivers, the flow of nutrients and contaminants through the systems. All of that requires lots and lots of base-level fundamental data. 
The Karen Network will enable the integration of this data with the work of the country's scientists. As Dr Cooper explains, Landcare Research needs the network's huge capacity just to run the software to crunch the data using grid computing. Because we have these national databases which contain primary information that's needed by lots of other organisations and research projects, we need to find the best way of making that information available within this organisation and across New Zealand and in some cases globally. The advanced network provides us with the mechanism to actually distribute that information. While it's targeted at the education and research sectors, David Blair of Jade says it's being closely watched by private industries as well. I mean, that could open up other ways for us to do business internationally. Development teams that can operate across international borders at times need to shift large amounts of data, and to do that quickly and cost-effectively would certainly be an advantage. The community networks show what can be done with commitment and clued up supporters. But telcos still play a vital role. Demand has already forced the Southern Cross Cable Company to upgrade the international link. And at Telecom Central Wellington Exchange, a review of the network is underway, with major new investments planned in domestic and advanced broadband pipes. Cabling is underway throughout Otago and Southland, connecting rural hubs such as Twizel, Timaru and Fairley, as well as tourist regions like Wanaka and Queenstown. While Telecom receives a lot of criticism about its rural service, its spokesperson Stuart Genty is promising improvements, at least over the longer term. If you're talking about broadband infrastructure for everyone, then it's got to be for everyone. It's easy to put stuff into the CBDs to begin with because that's where everyone tends to drop it because the big D-slams you have in those urban areas are entirely designed to be able to do quite sophisticated things. But when you push further out, it becomes vastly more of a challenge. And so that's a lot of the innovative thinking that telecom has to do. A lot of overseas telcos just tend to serve those, those inner sanctum areas. Meanwhile, Charlie Pedersen predicts satellite and wireless systems will eventually bring quality broadband to rural regions. The technology is getting uh, cheaper and better by the day and that is what we always thought at Federated Farmers, that time would solve the problem as these uh, new technologies became significantly cheaper and significantly better and that is exactly what appears to be happening. Back at Canterbury University's 3D lab, Nathan Gardner points out the one competitive advantage New Zealanders have always been proud of and which time and again the country has had to rely on. That's New Zealand's proven record of make and mend and DIY. You look at other main universities across the world, they have so much funding given to them and, and, and available to them. And, you know, uh, it's not to say that we don't. However, you know, we're obviously a smaller country. Um, we have lesser resources and lesser funding. Um, but I think we, you know, we, we sort of hold our own. We, you know, we're up there, you know, worldwide standards-wise. And uh, to be able to do that um, with less money, I think, is actually a good achievement. And it's sort of like a statement, really, to say that, OK, well, you know, things can be done cheaper but you know we can still make the mark. You know we can still um, lead and, and and be a part of um, the international um, uh, research and to be able to have such technologies like this. In a tiny country at the far ends of the earth, the number eight wire mentality is still a key part of most Kiwi success stories. But it won't replace the need for the next generation of digital highways to feed the nation's growth.